Jesus' teaching. They, they, they weren't comfortable with this. And so the thought of losing Jesus was, was something that, that scared them. So as, as we're going through this, just remember Jesus is on his way to, to a place of confrontation, a place of danger, and, and a place that no one except for him seems to understand what is, what is upcoming. So we continue reading. In Mark chapter 10, I'm going to read the next two verses. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us what we ask. Okay? What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Now, I have to be honest with you. There's a part of me that is just like, oh, James and John, what's your problem? You know, you're walking with Jesus. He's told you what's going to happen. But being honest with you, this is me, right? When, when I approach Jesus, I go to him and I, I want stuff, right? I, I, and I want confidence that I'm going to get what, get what I want. So I go to Jesus and I've got demands. Hey, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed Scott down here. I need the following five things. And if you could do it as, as soon as you possibly can, that'll, that'll make things a little easier for me. I mean, I don't necessarily play just like that, but that's kind of sometimes the attitude of our prayers. We check in with Jesus. We swoop down. Uh, Jesus, I got these things that, that are good. I need some healings. I need some financial assistance. I need a little peace. And if I could get some green lights on the way to work, that would be, that would be even better. And so James and John are really a picture of me, right? Uh, we want you to do whatever we ask. Isn't this great? Before they even ask the question, they're like, will you do for me anything that, 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 that I want you to do? I mean, if you have kids, or we were all, I think, kids at one point, do you remember going to your parents and saying, uh, do you promise you won't punish me? Right, you've done something and they're confronting you and you're like, I, I did this. Maybe you didn't, but I did. I have a clear recollection. Uh, if I tell the truth, will you not spank me? And, uh, and whatever your feelings on spanking, my mom felt pretty good about it on a couple of different occasions. Not very often, but on a couple of times. They wanted some comfort, right? They wanted the secure knowledge that, hey, Jesus, we're going to ask you for something here. Uh, we want you, you to do this. See, Here's the thing. Jesus had just pulled the 12 aside and he had told them about suffering. He said that he was going to suffer and they were going with him. He said, we are going to Jerusalem. So by extension, they were going to suffer as well. But what popped into the disciples' mind, and it wasn't just James and John. They're the ones that are named. We're going to see, uh, we're gonna see in a minute that everybody else is pretty guilty too. They, on their mind was glory. Right, so Jesus, he was thinking about suffering and what he had to do. And the disciples were thinking about what they could gain. And so I'm going to ask you a couple questions as we go through this passage. Because I, I want us all to learn. You know, I want us all to grow closer to, to Jesus. And I think there's some things that we have to ask ourselves. And the first question I want to ask you is, how do you approach Jesus? When you enter into prayer, are, are, you, are you demanding? Do you enter into prayer from a sense of pride, as if that you are the center and Jesus is there, uh, is there to serve you? Because notice, this is an error of the heart 
by the disciples. They, they, they were following Jesus and they were learning and, and, and I'm sure that they were changed men from when they first met Jesus, but they, they, were still, they were still blind. They were still blind for what they were grasping onto. They were still blind for what their, what their end goal was. And so this, this idea of what, what do you want me to do for you that Jesus asked, this is, this is such an important question because this is what Jesus does throughout the Gospels. He asks hundreds and hundreds of questions of people. And, and usually when he asks a question, it's him shining a mirror in front of the person. It's usually a question of clarity. So Jesus smiles, he shows patience because he's Jesus, and he says, what do you want me to, to, to do for you? Because he's going to show them what is going on with their heart. So the same is true for us. When we go to Jesus, do we feel entitled? When we go to Jesus, are we disappointed if we don't get our way? Do we get frustrated with, with God? So what, what is the way you enter into prayer? What is the content of your prayers telling you about your own heart? That's the, that's the first question that I want to bring up today. Continuing on, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Okay, there's their heart. Right there, that's what, that's what they want. They want... They want to gain. They want to be built up. They want the accolades and the power that go along, go along with leadership. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the, the baptism? Uh, there's a lot of baptisms there and I lost my place. Let me try again. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. See, what James and John were asking when they said, can we sit at your right and sit at your left? They, they wanted the highest honor. Jesus had already told the disciples that a special place was being prepared for them. They knew. They, they knew that their following and going, going through and, and being there to the finish line was going to come with, with a special position. But James and John wanted the specialist of special positions. They wanted to be at the right left. See, they totally missed the part about Jesus was going to die. They, 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 they thought, okay, Jesus is going to be victorious. He's going to lead Israel. That's, uh, that, that's what he, that's what he's all about. So Jesus said, can you drink my cup? Can you share the fate that I am going to endure in here? And so the cup, the cup is throughout the Bible, a metaphor for the God's judgment for sin. Right? So they still hadn't understood that Jesus' kingdom wasn't going to be like the kingdoms of the world. They, they still didn't understand that, that Jesus had came to, to fulfill what God needed for, for our forgiveness. All of, that had, all of that had been missed by them. This cup that Jesus said, can you drink of with me, was so weighty. Okay, this cup was so difficult to drink from that when, when, when he's in the gardens a little bit later, when he's praying for, for, for what's about to come up, Jesus asked God to take the cup from him. He said, if there is any way that I do not have to drink this cup, if there is any way that this can be accomplished uh, other than what's about to happen, please let it. 
Unfortunately, it wasn't. But this is the cup that James and John said, yeah, we can, we can do that too. Jesus used the word baptism there. It, throughout the Old Testament, the, the word baptism is used when, when, when somebody is about to be overwhelmed, usually with some sort of suffering. So, so Jesus is giving them every indication uh, of what's going on. And so Jesus is about to be rejected. He's about to be despised. He's about to suffer. He's about to be spit on. He's about to be mocked. Everything that he spent time building in the last three years is, is about to look like it's coming crumbling down. And, and, and Jesus responds with, with this question. And, and it's a question of, of, a question of purpose. He says, can you drink from this cup? He's reminding them that, that his purpose is not to, to fulfill the disciples. His purpose is to submit to the, to the will of God. And so here's another question that I have for you that, this, that I think this passage brings up for you and for me, all of us. In what ways are the things that you ask for at odds with Jesus' purpose for you? Are you asking for ways that you, the, the equivalent of sitting at the right and the left, where you can be built up, where you can shine, where, where you can be in a bigger position, whether it's at your workplace or whether it's at church, or I want my, I lead a small group, I want my small group to be bigger, I want my marriage to be happier, I want, I want all of these things that are going to make me feel better. But maybe, maybe that's not quite God's purpose for you. Maybe God has a different, a different cup that you are going to, to drink from, a different, uh, a different purpose for your life. What, what is it that you have to overcome so that God's glory can, can come through you and your relationship with Jesus? So like, like James and John, I think we say that we're ready for anything, right? Are, 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 we, are we ready like when we, like the simplest example, you ever say, if you ever say, I want to pray that I'm a more patient person, be careful when you do that, because inevitably when you pray for patience, you're going to be aware of all the situations you're not patient for. God doesn't just make you more patient. You go through the situations to be more, more patient. If you pray, I want to be better with money, God's not just going to dump a whole vat of cash at your feet. He's going to put you in situations that are going to make you make choices for what, what, what is going to happen? And we claim that we're ready for this. God, I am ready for whatever you want to do to me to make me look like Jesus. But then when I'm sitting in traffic, I get mad at the person in front of me. Right? I'm ready for anything except for red lights. Okay? So we are just like James and John. And we are, we are at odds with, with the world and its system. There's a different way that Jesus has for us to experience this, this better life. So this resounding we can that they, that they in unison give to Jesus, this shows their blindness. This is confirmation that they, that they don't quite get it. Now, this is good because Jesus is a patient guy and Jesus is not giving up on them. And I think that's another thing for all of us to remember. Jesus doesn't give up on you. You're going to make a bunch of mistakes. Uh, these questions, you might, you might realize you're, you're answering the questions of how do you approach Jesus and how are your prayers at odds with God's purpose for you? And you might think, oh, I don't measure up. I'm a loser. Uh, God can never love me. That is not true. Case in point, these 12 disciples. It's when Jesus also makes a promise. He says, yeah, you're going to drink this cup. You have no idea what, what it is, but you're going to drink it. You we can fast forward a little bit. In Acts 12, 2, James becomes the first of the, first of the disciples to be martyred. So he, he drank from the cup of suffering. And I'm sure 
He gladly did it after he after his sight was opened up and he he realized who Jesus was. John, the other one of these two that that was asking for to sit the right left. John is the John is the disciple that lived the longest, but he died in isolation. He was he was banished to an island where he he wrote Revelation and and the letters of First and Second John. But he was he was he was alone and he was rejected and he experienced the the, the being despised like Jesus did but he never, he didn't lose his hope. Continuing uh, in our Mark passage. So Jesus says, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, first, Jesus is not saying that he didn't know who was sitting at his right and left. He just said that this is not his role to determine it. Because remember, in all things, Jesus has surrendered his will to the will of the Father. I mentioned earlier that Jesus prayed for the cup to be taken from him. But then after he said that prayer, he said, it's not what I will, but it's what you will. It's not what I want, what's easier for me. It's what you want, what is going to accomplish your, your purposes. So we've got to keep in mind that that is Jesus bent, and that is supposed to be our viewpoint as well. But then the funny thing is the other 10 disciples, they come up and they are angry. James and John, what are you doing? And they're angry because James and John beat them, right? Like, let's be honest. They're not angry because James and John, that was just a ridiculous thing to ask for. It was James and John, I'm Peter. I want to sit on the right. What it, I want that position. And you just asked first. Serving the false self. Serving the way that we try to, try to, try to feel valuable or feel whole or significant apart from God. Serving that creates division in the body. Notice the disciples at this point, they weren't unified. They're, they're, Jesus is on his way to the, to the most important seven days of his, of his human earthly life. And his disciples are, are quibbling about who gets to sit at the right and the left. There's, there's not unity right now because they're being led by other concerns. The disciples were serving their own purposes, not the purposes of Jesus. They still hadn't even really understood what the purposes of Jesus were. And so we see that the disciples wanted what others had. See, earlier I said that James and John, they wanted, they wanted glory while Jesus was talking about suffering. Well, James and John were focused on themselves and while Jesus was focused on the Father. Jesus' focus was on the Father's power rather than his own. And Jesus could have, he says in previous places in the gospel that all he would have to do is ask and the Father would send down legions of angels to defend him and, and take up his cause. But he, Jesus also knew that's not what, that's not what the, the, the Father wanted. So sometimes I think we pray and we pray for what can Jesus do for us? And then we get frustrated because we don't hear from God or we feel he's silent and we say, why isn't he, why isn't he answering my prayer? And what I, what I believe is going on is God is holding fast to his will being done. And we interpret his will being done with silence. And that causes frustration. Rather than looking and developing awareness with 
What am I asking? Is this really his purpose for me? Am I concerned with the Father's power and position, or am I concerned with my, my own power and position? You know, we're told, in, we're told that we can ask for anything, and, and Jesus, will, Jesus will provide it for us. But the caveat there is we are in his image. We're connected to him. So the things that we ask for are going to be aligned with his will, that we would be embarrassed for asking for, for other things. See, we can ask for anything, but that doesn't define our relationship with Jesus. Something completely different defines our relationship with Jesus. And, and that's what we're going to see as we, we finish the last half of this, this Mark passage of what this definition is and, and how, it, how it comes to be. But here's my question for you from this little segment. Whose power are you, are you focused on? You know, I, I see, and I'm guilty of this, and I see, a lot of, I see a lot of Christians in our, our culture, and I, I work with leaders of churches, and I work with people who are followers of Christ, and I see a lot of other things seeping in. You know, there, there's the, the political bent that comes in, and rather than just a, a focus on Jesus and, and his kingdom, we want to make sure that, that our own particular bent of, of the kingdom, the same sort of thing that James and John were guilty of, or we've got, we've got social power that, that we want to have, or relational power in our marriages or our friendships in our groups, or maybe, maybe we, we struggle with financial power and we want, we want more of this. All of these things corrupt the gospel. All of these things are things that we chafe, chase after, and we become indignant, right? When one person is maybe succeeding a little more financially than we are, we become indignant with God and with them. We say, how can you? And I wouldn't do this if. We're just like the 12. Continuing in our, in our passage, verse 42 so Jesus sees the division, he sees the quibbling, and he calls them together. Jesus calls them together and he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slaved of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when, when Jesus says that the, the Gentiles, those who represent the Gentiles, he's probably at this point talking about the very Romans that the disciples are, are so quick to displace. Right? So in case you don't know, at this point, Israel is occupied by Roman rule. They got a Roman governor. They're, they're bound by Caesar. They're, all their taxes go to Caesar. And the Isra Israelites hated this. This was death to them. This, this corrupted everything about their culture and their religion. And they were, they, they, they were doing everything they could to, to break the, the shackles of Rome. And Jesus is pointing out to the disciples right here that that. What you're wanting to do, sitting at the right and the left, what you're wanting to do, me overthrow the, the Roman governor and, and reestablish this, this physical throne, that's exactly what the Romans are doing. You're wanting to do the very thing that, that you hate. So they were admiring the Romans. They just wanted to be in the place of the Romans instead of being subject to them. And so... Here's my question for you, because again, we're the disciples. How do you mimic 
the patterns and the desires of the world. You know, there, there's a code word that I, I'm hearing a lot. I hear more and more in people that I'm working with. I see it on blogs and things. And the word is impact, right? I want to have more impact. And, and the reason I call this a code word, because impact is the code word for I want something bigger. I want a bigger following of some sort. I want more control. I want more accolades. I want fame. Right? Think about impact. How impactful was Jesus? Right? By our definition of impact, would we consider Jesus a, a, an, impact, an impactful leader? I mean, he was, but would he, would he measure up? He was leading 12 disciples, right? So not a huge number of people. One of them betrayed him. The other 11, when, when rubber met the road, ran away. So Jesus died alone, hanging on a cross, with a couple of women, which in that culture was not a, 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 not a great testimony to your leadership. I mean, we consider Jesus impactful. He did not have any of the things that we, that we would consider impact. So maybe for you, though, maybe it's not impact. Maybe you don't even know. You've never even thought about that. But maybe for you, the code word is security. I want, I want to be more secure. I just need a little more money to be secure. I just need, I need my next contract to be secure. I, I need to have a baby to be secure. Uh, I, I, need, I need my child to grow up safe to be secure. Or maybe for you, the code word's happiness. And happiness just means I, I don't want any boundaries. I just want to be able to do whatever it is that, that I want. So Jesus, his mind was on suffering. The disciples' mind was on glory. Jesus' mind was on the Father. The disciples' mind was on themselves. And, and the uh, Jesus' mind, we're going to see in a minute, is on serving. And the disciples' was on power or lording. See, serving is the way of the kingdom. This is what Jesus said when he says, not so with you. The Gentiles lorded over. Not so, not so with you. See, impact, if that's really what you want to live your life for, and, that, and that, that's fine. Impact comes through serving. It doesn't come through size. It doesn't come through organization. It comes through giving up your position. It comes from giving up your rights or giving up your power. Impact comes from knowing whose you are and knowing who you are. Who is that one person that you can have impact with? It's not size, it's obedience. So successfully serving requires relinquishing your power, which is tough and terrifying to do. And that's what the disciples are experiencing in that moment. You know, serving is not a leadership tactic. Serving is not a way just to, to in a roundabout fashion to get what we want. You know, if I serve, then I serve you, you serve me, and everybody is going, going to be happy. Serving is not some path to success. It's supposed to be a fruit of our identity in Christ. So giving is a way of life. Giving our power, relinquishing it. Here are Jesus' words about this. This is from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to read a, a brief passage. But, but this is Jesus saying, if you're going to follow him, it is about serving. It is about relinquishing your power. It's about relinquishing your rights. And here's, here's what he says. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. 
But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn uh, turn to him the other side also. He's not just not saying be a punching bag. He's saying you give up your rights, give up your power. This is how you are serving that, that person. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Again, give up your rights. Give up, give up your power. This is, this is the way of the kingdom. If someone, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Serving others means asking others, what do you want me to do for you? And this is what Jesus, this is the final thing that he is going to teach them before they, before they enter into Jerusalem. This is, this is countercultural. I know. I want to be served. Okay, I am bad at this. Okay, I want people to do things for me. I, I, if, if I was living in old time, I'd want to be fed grapes and I want to be waved with fans. I want to be served. But that's not the model that Jesus, that Jesus gave to us. Jesus said that I, he had every right to come to this world, to walk it, and to, to expect to be served. But that's not what he came for. He came to, to serve. And in a few days, he was going to wash the disciples' feet. But until then, here's how he's going to demonstrate this. So we go on to verse 46 in our passage in Mark. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that Jesus of Naz uh, when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. See, Jesus is just about to practice what he preached. There's a blind man, and Jesus is filled with compassion. Uh, see him. Compassion is entering into another person's brokenness, walking with them, seeing them, really listening to them. And when the world tried to keep this blind man from Jesus, as it does, the systems of the world do everything they can to keep all of us from following the path, he shouted all the more. He was persistent. He shouted, Son of David. It's a reminder to everybody that, that Jesus was the Messiah, because that's the messianic title that everybody would have known in that day that they were, they were talking about the, the Messiah. The crowd said, stop it, leave this guy alone, because the world system is an obstacle to pursuing the way of Jesus. Always remember that. If you want the world to build up your faith, it's not going to. Okay? It's going to try to get you to stumble and to fall and to turn away. The world feeds our lies. Right? We, we, we try and we fall into this, this pit of trying to get our wholeness apart from God. Like, God, I love you, but I, I, want, I want this. I want a relationship. I want, I want money. I want, I want something else to make me feel complete. And so the world feeds this, that we're not good enough, or I'm not important enough, or you're doing too little to make a difference, or you're, 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 you're too broken, or you're too lost. And to be quite honest, sometimes we in the church do this too to people, right? We, we expect them to come and to hide their brokenness and hide their mistakes so that they look good enough to, to, to receive the gospel. So here's, here's my second to last question for you. How persistent are you in pursuing Jesus? When the world's pressing against you that Jesus doesn't care, God's not hearing you, do you shout all the louder? Do you, do you ask God for mercy? 
And so it's in, it's in this, as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he's got his, his, his marching orders, he's, he's on his way, but this, this man, this, this, this nobody, just like all of us, is screaming, have mercy on me. Jesus stops and says, call him. So they call to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. He asked the question again. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. That question right there is the way of the kingdom. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. See, Jesus saw this man. And he asked him the same question. And so when... when, when when the guy goes to approach Jesus, he throws his cloak away. He throws his old covering, his old way of life, where people would have thrown money because he was a beggar. He leaves it. He throws it to the side. The cloak was symbolic of this man saying, help me, right? Give me money. I'm helpless. He leaves that cloak to go to stand before Jesus because it's no longer about what are you giving to me? So Bartimaeus released his grip on his old way of relating to the, to the world. And this is the prelude to the disciples. The disciples just came to Jesus about what can you do for me, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, it's not about what I can do for you. It's about what you can do for the people that you see. So a lot of you are married. Have you, when was the last time you asked your spouse the question, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Or when you're at work and you go to your boss, when have you ever put yourself in their position and said, hey, what, can, what do you want me to do for you? Or friends, what do you want me to do for you? Or your children, what do you want me to do for you? Or parents, what do you want me to do for you? Instead of the question, what can they do for me? Who needs to hear this from you? Somebody's flashing in your mind. God's put somebody there. So this is the question that I'm going to leave you with. Who can you ask, what do you want me to do for you? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you first that Jesus was steadfast in going to Jerusalem, because uh, without that, we would have nothing. And God, I just pray for all of us. I, I pray that we would be sensitive to whoever you have put in our mind, uh, who needs us to, to demonstrate the gospel to them, uh, who needs us to put aside ourselves and our worries and our concerns and our desire to have more so that we can serve them? And God, I pray that, that, that today and tomorrow and this week that we would live the kingdom way of serving uh, and, and having impact on a person-to-person -person level. And we thank you for all that in the name of Jesus. Amen.